0: Welcome back to Making Good, the podcast for small businesses who want to make a big impact. I'm your host, Lauren Tilden, and this is episode 148. And oh my goodness, do I have a treat for you today. If you're listening to this, you are a human, which means that a big part of your life is about making decisions. Lots of decisions, large and small, every single day. And if you already didn't have enough to contend with in terms of decisions, the number of decisions you have to make as a small business owner is mind-boggling. Pricing, packaging, hiring, offers, strategies, products, collaborations, copy, photos, investments. We are faced with an endless stream of decisions we need to make every single day. And making decisions is hard. Which brings me to today's episode with my guest, Nell Wolfhart. I heard her on another podcast, and when I learned about her work, I immediately knew that I wanted to have her on the show, and I am so thrilled that she agreed to come on. Nell Wolfhart is a journalist, a writer, the author of The Great Stewardess Rebellion, a world traveler, and on top of it all, a decision coach. Nell attributes her successes to her talent for making quick decisions at various crossroads in her life, and in addition to her writing, she helps others make decisions quickly and save precious time. Through her work as a decision coach. In this episode, we discussed why it is important to get good at decision making, why you don't need to get it right the first time, how Nell helps clients make decisions, Nell's tips for making decisions on your own, how to take action on hard decisions, how to avoid decision fatigue, and much more. I learned so much from this conversation with Nell, and I am genuinely feeling giddy for you to listen to it and implement what you learn. Here is our conversation. Hey, Mel. Welcome to Making Good. Hey, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you on the show. I was mentioning right before we hit record that in 140 something episodes, as as we record this, there's not a lot of topics that we haven't gotten to um, when it comes to marketing and small business. But decision making is one that I didn't even realize I definitely wanted to have on the show until I came across you. Um, So I'm so, so thrilled to be having a conversation with you about your expertise in decision making and how you go about that. Um, Before I dig into my laundry list of questions, I would love for you to introduce yourself. I know you do a, a few different things in your work, so maybe share about those different things and then how you came to be a decision coach.
1: Sure. Um, well, I do a few different things, as you mentioned, side by side. Um, I used to be a freelance travel writer until until pretty much the pandemic happened. <laughs> uh, during the <laughs> pandemic, I worked on a book. It's a nonfiction book about stewardesses in the nineteen sixties called "The Great Stewardess Rebellion." So that came out in April, and then I have this other business that I've had for about ten years where I help people make big decisions um decision coach is a job that i i pretty much just invented and then started <laughs> doing <laughs> but essentially i just offer one thing one single session in which i help somebody make a big decision
0: i love it like i i know you say you made it up but i think the best businesses are businesses that like clearly solve a problem and i think a problem that probably everyone listening can relate to experiencing is being stuck in a decision and not knowing how to move forward. So I think it's brilliant. And like, yeah, such a, such a useful and valuable service that you offer people. Let's kick off. I want to know why it's important to be good at decision-making.
1: Okay. So I have a lot to say about this. (laughs) Um, But I think that decision-making is so important Honestly, mostly because of time and energy and that I encounter so many people. I mean, before I started this business, I did not realize how, how many people struggled with decision making. And now my eyes have really been opened. <laughs> um, and that like the number of hours, days, weeks, months, and sometimes years that people are losing just to mulling over like a single decision. Um, to me, this is just like tragic and the number of hours of like mental energy that you're expending, the kind of decision that, you know, you think about it when you wake up at 3am, you think about it when you're in the shower and just time goes by and you're not moving forward with, with any action in any direction. So I feel like the key to decision making is not only to make good decisions, but to get better at making decisions faster. Because you can just get so much of your life back when you become better at decision-making.
0: I feel like the sort of, um, I guess, assumption that people make around taking a lot of time to make decisions is that a more well-considered decision is a better one. Um, You know, like the more time you make a decision, the more carefully, quote-unquote carefully, you make a decision the better the decision, is. Mm. and I'm
1: guessing yeah. that's not true. <laughs> um, it's true up to a point that, like, absolutely, when you're making a big decision, whether that's to move to a new country or to have a baby or to go freelance or whatever it is, of course, you should spend a lot of time thinking and researching and and really like paying attention to how you feel about that decision. But the problem I've ha- I've found is that so many people go way past that point like mm-hmm. way past the point of like okay you have enough information let's go ahead and make the decision and they go into analysis paralysis and they they spiral and they make endless pros and cons lists and they start adding like tiny details that really shouldn't have any weight in a decision they start considering those and they talk to their friends and they talk to their family and in the meantime all this time is going by and for tons of those decisions if you had just picked either one of those choices and started taking action on it, at this point, you would have so much more real, tangible data. Like You would actually know whether that was a good decision or not. And if it wasn't, you could try something else. And if it was, great, double down. But Mm -hmm. people just don't know when to stop. And I would say that the quality of a decision in general is not really affected by the amount of time you spend on it
0: at least past a certain point. (laughs) That's so interesting. I know that you have made some big decisions personally or like in your work, you, I know, have made a big move. Can you just share a little bit about like how you've approached making those decisions? Is it something for you where it's just instinctive? Like you just know and you don't really have to go through the process very much or do you still walk yourself through the same process that you walk your clients through?
1: You know, I think most people overthink and I maybe underthink. <laughs> <laughs> like I, you know, if I like have an idea, I will act on it right away. If I'm going to like move to a new place, like I don't spend that long thinking about it or researching or or doing that much because I feel like most decisions are reversible, right? If I move to a new country and I don't like it, okay, no problem. I can move back. Like I've been living in Uruguay for 8 years. It's good, but if I got here and I didn't like it, I would just have moved somewhere else. Um, Mm -hmm. Same thing with like trying a job or a new project. Like, you know, with being a freelancer, I feel like the key to being a successful freelancer is just to be constantly pitching ideas and constantly responding and making a ton of very quick decisions. You know, you just have to get in there fast and you have to hustle and you have to send pitches and send ideas. And the key to my... Success. I'm I'm making quotation marks with my fingers here, but like if there's Mm -hmm. any you know uh, element of my success that's really important, it's the fact that I make very quick decisions and I act on them. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about them.
0: Yeah, it occurs. Something I talk a lot about here on the podcast is perfectionism and how damaging it can be and how much it can hold us back from actually achieving anything and doing anything. And it feels like that's kind of maybe coming into play here, like maybe why pe- many people, myself included, often make take way too much time to make decisions is that we're trying to like choose the exact perfect one and not really acknowledging that we can change our mind later. Um, like it feels so important to get it right the first time for some reason.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, the business of decision making is really the business of Regret avoidance, (laughs) you know, everyone is out here trying to avoid having regrets and thinking like, oh, God, I shouldn't have done that. Um, Mm -hmm. But honestly, the the decision and the outcome, I would love to clarify, are two totally different things. Like we'll make a decision based on the information we have at the time and we make the best possible decision that we can control. But the outcome of the decision, especially if it involves another person or another company or literally anything in the world, Mm -hmm. most of those things are beyond our control. I mean, think of how many decisions we made before the pandemic. Like, we didn't know that was going to happen. doesn't reflect on the quality of the decision. The decisions were still good, but the outcomes, maybe not so good. (laughs) You know, because we just didn't have any any control over that. So people are definitely very focused on making the right decision, making the perfect decision, doing everything in the best possible way. But I find that you get a lot more done if you do sort of B minus work. And I will Mm -hmm. tell you that
0: nobody, nobody except you really notices. I love it. So how do you make a decision? Let's say like I'm one of your clients and I have a decision to make. What would be the steps that you would walk me through in order to come out at the end of that conversation, having made the decision?
1: Okay, well, it's pretty simple because really the sessions mostly last around an hour. There's no official time limit like we'll work until we get to the to the decision and we've identified your next steps, but it usually takes around an hour. So, before the session, I ask my clients to do two exercises. One is to, you know, p- most people are pretty familiar with this one, make a list of their values, right? The things that are important to them in everyday life. Uh, you know, recognition for your work, or spending time with family, or not spending a lot of time in the car. I mean, on my list is being able to wear sweatpants every day. <laughs> like that is a <laughs> that is a that is a value for me. Um, so I ask them to make that list, and I also ask them to think about their ideal life in the future. To think very carefully about their future self and what they would love their life to look like one year from now, five years from now, and ten years from now. And so, armed with those two exercises, you know, we we go through the through the issue. I collect a lot of information on their background. I try to get like a three hundred and sixty degree view of their life because every big decision affects like almost every section of your life, right? It'll impact all different parts of your life. I ask mm-hmm. a lot of questions. Um, I will occasionally stop somebody from talking if they're going on too long about something that doesn't matter, <laughs> because, like I said, by the point. You know so that someone has called a decision coach. Like, there's a no more talking or thinking that needs to get done. It's all about mm-hmm. taking action. And then my main job is to figure out what it is that they actually want to do. And sometimes that takes a like takes a while. It takes a full hour. I have to really go through like their feelings about the decision their values, how that how this decision would like fit into their life and the lives of the people that they care about. And then it's mostly a matter of writing them a permission slip and saying, yes, it's okay to do this thing that you want to do. I like to leave people with next steps. I I love an actionable item. (laughs) So, you know, we make the decision and then I give, you know, give them like, okay, now you're going to do this and this and this. So they know where to start. And then mm-hmm. I, I often assign some other homework. This is totally irrelevant, but like if I've noticed something in the conversation that's like, oh, you know, they're they've been really isolated. So like they should spend more time with other people, or maybe they need this or maybe they need that. Sometimes I'll gently add a little homework in there, just just as a suggestion. <laughs> they don't have to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love the exercises in particular that you mentioned up front, the like where you want your life to go and then your values and I love also the example values that you gave. It wasn't like integrity, authenticity. They're like very specific things like wearing sweatpants every day in, in my life. Like things where you know whether you're in alignment with that or not. Right. So I think that's super smart.
1: Yeah. I like people to think about like their everyday lives, you know? I mean the the other stuff, the other values are important too, like integrity or honesty or, you know, whatever whatever it comes to people's minds, but I really want them to think about like the way they like their life to look on a daily basis, like the things that daily impact their happiness levels, because we can make a decision that will elevate all of those things, or we can at least try.
0: Do you find that generally by the time someone comes into one of these calls with you, like they already somewhere in them, like they already know what they want?
1: Most of the time, yes, Um, they they know what they want, but they don't know that they know it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And like sometimes people are just calling me to sort of validate a decision. Many times, people have already made a decision, like they've taken a job offer, and they call me to make sure, like, was this the right move? And I can sort of like say, like, okay, yes, this was a good decision, or huge mistake. (laughs) That doesn't really (laughs) that doesn't happen very often, but you know. I do find that like people in general have a good idea of what they want to do, but that it helps them to have this sort of completely neutral, totally unknown third party to do sort of like an assessment of the situation, like a cold blooded assessment and to like validate that decision. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't, I don't know them. I have no bias as to what they do. It doesn't affect me personally at all. Like what they, what they choose to do. Right. I am not invested unlike friends or family or partners or whomever. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think that there's something comforting about that, that like, okay, there's a decision-making expert. She doesn't know me. She looked like clear eyed at this situation. And she said, do this. And there's a feeling of, of relief, you know, of like, um, Maybe it's just a shedding of responsibility. I don't really know, but it definitely makes people feel better. Mm-hmm. and and then able to take action, which is the important part.
0: Right. I was gonna ask, are there ways that folks i mean i I already recommend that people, like if you have a big decision to make, definitely consider getting in touch with Nell. for folks who may be needing to figure it out on their own. Are there ways? that, like, are there specific questions you ask or ways that they can kind of try to uncover that decision that they may have already kind of made, but they don't know they've made it?
1: Oh, sure. I mean, you don't have to, nobody has to call me. You really can do it yourself. It's just a matter of giving yourself permission to do that thing that you want to do. Even if everyone around you is like, that's a bad idea. If you really want to do it, You should do it. I mean, every decision except having a kid is reversible. And so there's like, and also I think we're very bad at risk assessment. We can get into that a little later. People think, you know, things are much more risky than they are. But I think that Mm -hmm. if a decision makes you feel, if one option makes you feel excited, maybe even nervous, but sort of thrilled, or if it makes you feel Relieved in a certain way. A lot of times people will call me about relationships, like, should I break up with this person? And if you're, first of all, if you're calling me to ask about that, you know the answer is probably yes. So (laughs) if you're thinking about calling me about that, you can skip that step and just go ahead and break up with them. But there's this, you know, (laughs) feeling somewhere inside you that you know what is right to do. And I think that, like, if it is, in line with your values, comparing it to your values is always helpful. If you're trying to make a choice, you can look at that list of values, see which option is more in line with your values. And then that's like usually a great guide because making a decision that is not aligned with your values is just taking a shortcut to unhappiness, really. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would also say avoid bargaining. Avoid making decisions for the person that you think you might become and try to make decisions for the person that you are to use like a very superficial example. I'll say that people hate commuting, right? Mm-hmm. And yet they will call me with like, when they will get, call me, they will tell me they hate commuting. Their last job had a terrible commute. They hated it, blah, blah, blah. They're, they got a new job offer. It's great for this. It's great for that, but it has a long commute. And like, they're like, Oh, well, you know, maybe I could, I could get into audio books or I could get up at four in the morning and avoid traffic. And it's like, listen, you know that you hate commuting. And maybe this job Mm -hmm. will be exciting for three or four weeks, but then you're going to be like, why did I sign up for this thing that I knew that I hated? Like, don't trick yourself into becoming into thinking you'll become the kind of person who loves commutes (laughs) or anything else. You know, fill in that blank with whatever your personality is. Um, Just try and make decisions that are really aligned with like, with who you are. Don't get don't get aspirational about your own personality.
0: Mm, I love that. I think a lot of people consider themselves indecisive. Like, oh, I just, I hear people in my head saying like, I'm just indecisive. Like I'm not a good decision maker or I hate to make decisions or whatever. Is that a thing? Okay. <laughs> yes, it's definitely yeah.
1: a thing. I would say about half my clients are like chronically indecisive. Um, and about half of them are kind of like go getter type A personalities who, for whatever reason, have come up against a decision that is just stumping them. Like, it doesn't usually happen. They're usually good at making decisions, but they call me because something has just come up and for, for whatever reason, they can't fix this on their own. So I just like to think I like get them over the hump and then they go on their way. But the other Mm -hmm. half, yeah, they're, they're not, they're chronically indecisive people who are, do a lot of second guessing, do a lot of ruminating. There are sometimes the chronic researchers who will be like, let me just read, you know, one more article on this before I decide, or <laughs> let me go research one more thing. Um, yeah, it's 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 a real thing <laughs> being yeah. being terribly indecisive.
0: Okay. That's validating. I feel like I've been there. I, I'm not sure I'm like on the extreme end of it, but I definitely I can relate to wanting someone else involved in the decision-making process, right? Like sometimes it does feel like a lot of responsibility to make a decision by yourself. So I think that's why your offer is so interesting. Um, Speaking of other people, I think a lot of us turn to other people, often people in our lives for help making decisions. And like you say, these people aren't necessarily unbiased, like they have some stake in it or for whatever other reason, might have some opinion that leads them to guide us in a certain way. How would you suggest people go about involving others in their decision making?
1: This is this is a really good question because other people are both the best and the worst part of making decisions. (laughs) Um, You know, we we all have people that we ask their opinion on, um, and then we disregard it (laughs) completely. Um, Or there are people who, no matter what they say, we always like follow them and we do whatever they say because we you know we think that they're either looking out for us or they make good decisions or whatever. And it can be really hard to tell how much you should listen to other people and how much you should just decide on your own. And of course, there are some people in our lives who we need to put on an information diet because we tell them all this stuff and then they just like throw suggestions and advice at us nonstop, which is the mm-hmm. opposite of the opposite of helpful. Um, so I would say the people in your life who you can really rely on for good advice are people who urge you towards a bigger life. Towards taking leaps, towards making big changes, towards things that you can see like in the long term are going to, to stretch you a little bit and to push you and to get you what you want, even if it seems hard right now. And this, you can apply this to relationships or jobs or moving or whatever. Um, so you should search for those people. Or, yeah, you can call me a total stranger on the internet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's such good advice to to listen to the people who kind of be, seem to have the bigger life for you in mind. Like, I think that's such great criteria. Um, you mentioned something that I think will be resonant for a lot of listeners, which is that sometimes the decision you need to make is the scarier one or the harder one or the one that is like against the grain some way. Do you have any tips for like actually taking action on hard decisions that require us to do hard things? (laughs)
1: Um, This is a really good question. And I think that, My general advice to people is think less and do more. And that like the longer you think about something in advance, the bigger you build it up in your mind, the longer it takes you to take action, the more it scares you. And this is why I've sent out like a million pitches to people like, Plenty of which have been rejected, but like I've sent a million emails and sometimes people say yes, because I don't let that time pass in which I could think of all the ways that they could say no, or all the things that could go wrong. So I would Mm -hmm. suggest even making, giving yourself a time limit on making decisions, you know, give yourself, I like to recommend half the time that you think your decision should take to make, um, Yeah, make it 50% of the time that you think you should take to make the decision. Give yourself that deadline and then, you know, give yourself some kind of accountability for taking action, whether that's an accountability buddy or creating a deadline with somebody scary, (laughs) like a boss. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But find the thing that motivates you. You know, are you the person who is motivated by the carrot or the stick? You know, like, are you motivated by reward? Are you motivated by fear? And I'm not one of those people who think that negative motivations are terrible. Like I sometimes think that they can be really helpful in getting things done.
0: Yeah, I've heard of um, an accountability strategy where you give money to someone and say, if I don't do X, Y by this date, donate this to like political party I don't affiliate with, or like something. Yeah. Against my values. I
1: love that sort of thing. Yeah, just make it un- <laughs> make it harder to not do the thing than to do the thing.
0: Mm-hmm. So good. One of the things about decisions is that it's hard to make decisions. And um, it takes a lot of our energy. Like there's something called decision fatigue, which I'm sure you know all about, which is like the fact that we get tired out after having to make too many decisions. Do you think... It's worth trying to set our businesses up and our lives up in such a way that we're reducing the number of decisions we have to make. Or is it more about, like you say, like underthinking it a little bit, (laughs) like (laughs) creating a practice of doing more and thinking less in general?
1: I mean, I always recommend doing more and thinking less, just as a general rule.
0: (laughs) But I do think it's worth like,
1: even, even me, right? I'm a very decisive person and this is literally my business is helping people make decisions. But like, if I've been doing that all day, sometimes it comes to seven o'clock and like, how am I going to figure out what to eat for dinner? I've got no idea. Like, I can get totally stuck there because, yeah, I've hit decision fatigue. Mm -hmm. So I am a big fan of making as many decisions as possible in advance um and i can even give you an example from my own life like i have been doing this um you might have heard me talk about this on on clara's podcast but i have been doing this running streak where i run one mile a day um and or like at least one mile i i can't do less although i can do more so Mm -hmm. i made that decision that i would do it so i wouldn't have to get up every day and think like am I going to exercise? You know, should I, should I exercise? What kind of exercise should I do? Like, there are so many decisions involved, even in something as simple as getting a workout in. So Mm -hmm. I just made one big decision up front, and then I found the thing that motivated me, which was not breaking the chain and continuing to do the streak, um, which has been four and a half years at this point. And and so that's what what keeps me going. I made one decision four and a half years ago, and now I don't think about it anymore. I mean, occasionally I think about switching it up or I do other kinds of exercise, but I never break the streak. I always do that one thing because... Even though I hate running, I know that it's good for me. It's good for my mental health. It makes me get outside even for just like 10 minutes. There's all these good Mm -hmm. sorts of things. So what I would ask listeners to ask themselves, what kind of decisions can you make in advance? You know... If it comes to something like exercise, okay, pick the days and the times you're going to exercise, put them on the calendar. That's it. No more thinking about them. No more negotiating with yourself about, like, well, I could do it later. I could do it tomorrow. Like, make decide and then don't decide. Mm -hmm. And you can apply that to everything to clothes, to meals, to business decisions for sure. Like, I mean, this is the whole idea behind systems, right? Is that you make the decision in advance and then you just, execute, you go through the steps of the system in in whatever form that
0: might take. That's so interesting. I hadn't thought about that parallel to like systems and operations within businesses, but that's true. Like if you have it set up so that you don't have to think each time, this is how I do this task, that decision fatigue will come later. For sure. Yes.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, I want people to remember is like, again, most decisions are reversible. So you can make a decision about any kind of system in your business implement it for a while. If it's not working, okay, go back, tweak it, fix it, try something else. But don't make that decision like every time the problem comes up or every day, like remake the decision. That's just a total waste of energy that you could be spending on like much better things or on just watching TV. That's also totally fine. (laughs) But I would say Mm -hmm. in general, if you feel like you're encountering a lot of decision fatigue, like write down all the decisions you need to make, go down that list, just make them all right now. You've probably been thinking about them for a while. There's, you know, diminishing returns and continuing to think about them. Why don't you just write down 10 decisions, make them all right now, and then you don't have to worry about them anymore. Mm -hmm. It makes people nervous when I say things like that, but I swear to God it works.
0: (laughs) No, I immediately, for me, what came to mind was like meal planning, which it's hard to do because you have to kind of do it all up front. But then like when you actually do it on the weekend, you buy all the groceries for all the food for the whole week. It like it makes the whole week easier. So it it is that like upfront investment of energy and decision making, I guess, but it pays off if you're willing to to go through it, understanding that down the road, it'll
1: be better. I know. It's, it's really... I mean, I also struggle with meal prep because I resist it every weekend because <laughs> I don't feel <laughs> like doing it. Um, just the way I feel about going for a run every day. Like, I don't want to do it. But um, yeah, it's like thinking about you know your future self, blah, 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 taking good care of yourself, the usual stuff. But yeah, it's just yeah. yeah, make the decision and then decide and then don't decide is, is generally a good rule.
0: Well, I think that's just such an interest, like a good point that you don't have to feel like doing things to do them, right? Like you can make a decision that you know, in the moment, like you made this choice four and a half years ago to run a mile at least every single day. And yeah, I'm sure most days or at least some of the time you wake up and don't want to do that. But I never want to do it.
1: (laughs) Not not on a single day. I hate running. (laughs) But I also feel like maybe doing something you don't want to do is helps you do other things you don't want to do. And yeah, Mm -hmm. you're, you're totally right Lauren when you say that like, you know, It's important to go ahead and do the things, even if you don't feel like it. I was talking with a friend of mine. We do some virtual co-working. And he said this Mm -hmm. thing, which I think is like commonly known in the self-help world or whatever. But like motivation follows action. I had never Mm -hmm. heard that before. And it blew my tiny mind. I was like, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. you don't have to be motivated to take action. Once you take action, you'll be motivated.
0: I was Mm -hmm. like, wow. (laughs) But it's really true. It is. Yeah, I guess the the equivalent to that that kind of blows my mind is about um, action and confidence. Like you don't have to feel confident to take action, but actually taking action is what builds confidence. <gasps> yes. Love
1: so that. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Yes.
0: All the action. Um Okay, I am wondering, and I t- I did not prepare you for this question. So I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. So let me know if nothing comes to mind. But I know you've done a ton of these coaching decision coaching sessions with people with all kinds of decisions to make business, career, personal life, health, like probably anything you can think of. Are there any patterns of like, People come to you with this type of decision and usually the outcome is this. For example, you said, if someone calls you about, should they break up with their partner? Probably the answer is yes. But are there any other patterns that you've noticed after doing probably hundreds, if not more, of these sessions over the years? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the
1: relationship one is definitely a big one. Um, I would say that people... One pattern I've seen is that people tend to get... Very flustered when they're presented with more than one option. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. right now, people often come to me, you know, if they've been job hunting and they come to me if they have like a f- couple of offers and they can't decide between them. And I think for a lot of people, if they had one job offer and the other option was staying put, like they could make that decision on their own. But when you add a third and a fourth element, it's like it's overwhelming. It, it becomes very hard to compare and contrast in a way that is easier when it's two things. Um, but in general, I don't think there's really any patterns. I would say the, 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 things that I most pay attention to are things like the language that people use. If they say things like, oh, I, I can get used to it or it'll be fine or something along those mm-hmm. lines, like red flag, you know, <laughs> I, there's most of the time you do not have to settle for that thing. You do not have to live a life that is just fine. Um so yeah. if there's like the patterns of people talking in certain ways uh that I feel like if you know if you pay attention to that even on your own the way you describe a situation you know you can almost figure it out like by yourself mm-hmm. i have plenty of clients who find that even just describing their decision to me and like telling me about it in detail helps them come to a decision on their own like they realize how they're talking about one option and like in such a negative way and how they're talking about another option in a positive way and then like they <laughs> they know as they're mm-hmm. saying it, like the same thing that I know, which is one of these things is is the right one. One of these things is is not right.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I can hear myself saying things like, oh, I can make it work. <laughs> you know, so as I'm listening <laughs> to you, I'm like, OK, maybe." Maybe I don't need to just like grin and bear it when it's you know, so. Exactly.
1: Perfect example. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Make it work. I'm going to add that to the list.
0: <laughs> I had a, um, I had a question in mind that I feel like you've kind of already answered, which is what do you do if you realize you've made a wrong decision or how do you know afterward, whether you've made the right decision? Do you have anything to add, that you know, I've heard you kind of touch on this a little bit, but do you have anything to add on that? Well, it's, I do feel like there are right and wrong
1: decisions in a way, but yeah, like I said before, you, you can't control the outcome. So sometimes Mm -hmm. you make the decision with the best information you had at the moment, things don't work out the way you wanted. And I really think in most cases, we need to remember that we can go back or we can pivot or we can quit. um, I think in general, people are not very good at assessing risk. And so they pin everything on this decision. Like if they take a new job, like it has to be the best job ever. And if they take the job and they don't like the job for whatever reason, like their world comes crashing down. It's like awful. They beat themselves up. They made the wrong decision. How could they do this sort of thing? But I mean, really, okay. You wanted the new job. You found a new job. Now you just have to do that again. Like it's if in most cases you're not going to end up, you know, living on the street or going to prison. The worst-case scenario is just not that bad. So, mm-hmm. I want people to try and recalibrate their risk assessment a little bit and to realize that even if they made a decision that is not working out in the way that they had hoped, like they can fix it. You know, almost everything can be fixed. Um I would also add that you can make almost any decision the right decision if you work really hard at making it a success, which is sort of like the Mm. (laughs) the dirty secret of decision-making. But I have clients who call me like, should they move to a new city for a job or a relationship or just for a change or whatever? Um, And so there's a couple different ways you can do that, right? You can move to the new city and do your job remotely and not make that much effort and then be like, Oh God, I hate this place. didn't work out for me. Or you can make yourself go out and meet people, do meetups, join a book club, join a gym, you know, really work at like integrating yourself into the community, find a dog park that you like, fix up your house in the, in the way that you want. Like if you work hard at making it a success, you can make any decision a good decision. Um, and the hmm. important thing is to figure out the things that would make it for you a good decision. So when we talk about the example of moving to a new place, it's like, okay, for me personally, if I move to a new place, you know, I want to have like a good community of friends and I want to have some outdoor space nearby that I really enjoy being in. And I want to make sure that I rent a place with an extra room for my office. And I want to have at least like one Thai restaurant in town or, you know, those yeah. things like <laughs> make it a success. Yeah. But like, you know, you have to, you have to identify your criteria for making like a good life and then work at those things because most of the time they're really within your grasp, but you just have to remember to put in the effort.
0: That's such a great point. Yeah. It's not just about making a decision and then like coasting. It's like you have to, <laughs> yes. you have to implement. <laughs> you have to implement, yes. And
1: if, and if you feel good about it, and like, you know, at the end of most of my sessions, a person gets on the phone and they're excited about moving forward. Like they're excited to take the step precisely because we found the thing that they want to do. But that also makes it easier to, to take the action and to do the work. Like when you're excited about all the possibilities of your decision, um which is like another good sign right that you've made the right decision it's like it makes you feel excited and full of possibility and that won't mm-hmm. be every decision obviously but um even if you feel nervous if you also feel excited that's that's a great sign
0: yeah i think what i like most about your approach is that you're not telling people to make a list of pros and cons and like make the most analytical logical (laughs) decision even though you actually do sound like a pretty logical person that's not the way that you're telling us to make decisions you're really about like what is what feels right to you like what feels like the best next step that you kind of know inherently I love that
1: yeah I mean honestly the truth is learn that most people are going to do what they want to do regardless of what I tell them. Like, especially when it comes to romantic relationship decisions or really any kind mm-hmm. of relationship decisions, like people can be making all sorts of bad decisions, but they're, if they, if they want to do it, if they want to like, they have that, you know, feeling or whatever, like they're just gonna keep doing it no matter what. <laughs> so mm-hmm. and you know, like when we talk about making a decision based on how you feel, people talk about like this idea of making an emotional decision or or something like that, as if that's different from like a logical decision. Like so many things look great on paper, but if you did them, you would be unhappy. And to me that would be completely illogical to make a decision mm-hmm. that only looks good on paper and that you don't feel like doing.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh, this has been so fun already. I have I have a couple more questions, but I am just my my wheels are spinning. I have I want to transition a little bit, but before I do, is there anything else you feel like we haven't touched on when it comes to decision making and um, how to be a more effective, faster decision maker? Well,
1: we already covered my my mantra of think less, do more. And I would (laughs) say I would say as many times as possible when you're faced with a decision, especially when it comes to a business decision, like there are so many things that you can trial, you know, and that you can just like test them out. The the way we make good decisions is not by sitting around wondering if something will work out or wondering if we're gonna like something. The way we make good decisions is by trying the thing. And then if it works, great, keep going. If it doesn't work, okay, pivot, try something else. And that there are so many occasions, I think I said this at the top of the call, like where someone might spend months making a decision, thinking about a decision and then taking action on it. While if they'd taken that action you know, much sooner... They would already have evidence. They would have data over like on whether or not that was a a good decision. And I feel like in business, there's like people aren't paying that much attention to you, especially when you're starting out, you know. So you can try all sorts of things. Why not? You know, see what works. Mm -hmm. Don't spend a lot of time thinking and like wondering if it'll work and doing it. Test it great, you know, and then you'll have actual real information and that you can use to make like future decisions, better decisions. But there's just so much more value in being able to test than there is in being able to think.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you can't think your way into clarity. Well, you can think your way into
1: into into progress. I think maybe it would be better. Like you can think your way into clarity, although most people don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but like you can't think your way into into action or into like actually forward momentum. And I feel like especially nice. if you're a small business owner, like you need to be moving forward, kind of all the time, right?
0: Right. Totally. On the topic of small businesses, so you do a couple of things. You have your decision coaching, you do, you wrote a book. I think you're writing another book if if my memory serves, but you do a bunch of different things. So my question for you as someone who also does multiple things, and I know a lot of listeners, whether they have a day job and they have their business or they have a business With like multiple legs to it or multiple businesses, a lot of people listening are going to relate to feeling like they're juggling a lot of different priorities at once. Do you have any tips on or just even just how you personally approach managing such different parts of your work? I really love to have a whole lot of stuff going on,
1: like working on a book, writing articles, doing coaching, promoting the business. Um, so for me, this like this is what keeps it interesting. And I do find that when you're working on one thing for like endless amounts of time, it, it can really be draining and you, you feel a lot less enthusiastic about it. Um, mm-hmm. I generally employ... Productive procrastination, which is that if I have a few things that need to get done, I don't have to do the worst one first, but I have to do one of them. So mm-hmm. it might be like you know pitching podcasts to talk about decision coaching, like that is you know one day that might feel easier and more fun than you know writing a long article. And so like I I don't have to do the long article, but I have to do something productive. Um, and you know, the next day writing the article might feel more appealing, so mm-hmm. I can do that. Um, you can apply this to exercise too. Like you can be working or you can be exercising or doing, you know, substitute something else that feels good, that feels essential and good for you in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't be, you know, watching TV or spending more time on Instagram. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also do a lot of virtual co-working, and this is something that might be helpful to people. I have a couple of close friends who are also, you know, solopreneurs or or whatever you want to call it. Actually, they just work from home and we tend to work together part of the day. We'll do like a FaceTime call and then we'll work in 30-minute increments because one of my friends, Bill's in 30-minute increments, so he times us. So we, you know, we get on FaceTime, <laughs> we have a little chat, then he, we do turn off the cameras, turn off the call, 30 minutes of work, he calls us. We talk about what we've done. We talk about what we're, what we're going to do in the next session. And it's just a way to, A, like, keep working and feel like you have some companionship, but it also right. gives you some accountability. And I think, especially for small business owners, like, if you can do that with other small business owners, people who are working in sort of the same area as you, and then, like, not only do you get, you know, advice and commiseration, but you have that sort of accountability of, like, people who are kind of, Helping you keep going working on a particular project, even if at that point you'd rather just turn off the computer and, you know, read a book or whatever.
0: Absolutely. I, yeah, I have a membership program that co working is a big part of for that reason. Exactly. It's like, I remember in college, like staying up late in the student center studying because there were other people in the room with me in a way that I would not have been doing if I was by myself in my dorm room. So, you know, the same thing kind of applies. Like it's, it can be easier to keep going and in company. So I love
1: that. 100%. Yeah, totally. Especially now when so many people are working remotely or, you know, people who are working in their own businesses, maybe after hours or at odd hours, like it's just so nice to have, to feel like you're not alone (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that there's other people out there. I think it can be really helpful. Totally.
0: Okay. This has been so fun. I'm going to start to ask you the questions that I get to ask all of my amazing guests on the show The first one is, how do you approach doing good through your small business?
1: Uh, This is such a good question. I really love it. Um, I would say that doing good was not like a primary principle of mine in regards to this business. Like doing good Mm -hmm. is important in my everyday life. Um, But that like this business is something that I just I knew I was good at and that I could make money at. And then the more I started doing it, the more I was like, oh, this is really helping people. And I feel like mm-hmm. the way it's helping them is it is saving them time. It is saving mm-hmm. them time and it is helping them take action. You know, I'm a person who loves to to get people to to really go for what they want. Um, and mm-hmm. people are not <laughs> not good at going for what they want. People will often reach for plan B because it feels safer and more secure and less stressful. But plan A might be like right there within their grasp. So I would say one of the ways that I feel like I really can help people is that I do a full court press and trying to get them go to get them to go for plan a and not to go for plan B try plan a first. And like, I give a lot of encouragement and I'm very empathetic. It's a, it's a bit tough love, but it really does like get people moving. So I Mm -hmm. I feel like that helps. And you know, people get off the call and there's, there's they're relieved and also they don't have to think about that decision anymore. So I feel like mm-hmm. that's good.
0: <laughs> that's very good. Yeah. When I heard you saying it oh, wasn't a primary motivator for this business, I was like, but it does so much good. So I'm glad, you, I'm glad you came out the other end because yeah, we can waste so much of our lives just being stuck and not doing what we actually want to do. So if you have support and kind of like you say, moving toward that bigger more exciting more expansive version of your life like that's a serious way of doing good so
1: yeah i mean I, I still wouldn't claim that like my business does good like my my primary concern at the moment is climate change so i'm mostly concerned about like donating money to people who are helping to fight climate change or change policy so i feel like in <laughs> my business maybe does good because i donate money through that. Like that is kind of almost my, Mm -hmm. yes, almost like a a primary motivator for doing the, for doing the work. But, um, you know, it, it definitely also helps people, but I guess I wouldn't say that it's like, you know, it's not a mutual aid Mm -hmm. or anything like that. (laughs) Right. Right.
0: Um, what is one small business that you admire? This is a
1: good question. Um, I think it might be my friend Claire's business. Um, I think you heard me, Lauren, on her podcast, the Get Paid Podcast, which maybe some of your listeners also know. It's it's really good. Um, Claire used to run Facebook ads, and she has sort of like scaled this business from doing Facebook ads to coaching people who to do Facebook ads to now running these like masterminds where she does all things marketing. And I've just watched her sort of scale it in like a very she wouldn't say that she did it in a thoughtful way, but from the outside, it looks very thoughtful and just been going up Mm -hmm. and up and up. And she doesn't work that many hours a week. So,
0: So I admire
1: her for that reason that like, she is like, has been really good at building a business around her life rather than building her life around her business. And also like, always going for the next big thing. And she tries a lot of stuff. It doesn't always work out, but she tries things. And as your listeners definitely know by now, I always think that's a good idea.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a great answer. Um, What about a book recommendation? Um, well, I was trying to think of a business book, but
1: honestly, I think most business books could just be tweets, <laughs> and like they, <laughs> they just don't need to be two hundred and fifty pages of anecdotes mm-hmm. and you know extensive stories and research or whatever. Um, so I really don't read. Or I sometimes read business books, but I never feel that inspired by them. Um, Mm -hmm. but I can certainly recommend and steer people towards my own book, which came out in April and it's all about stewardesses and how they, a true story of how in the 1960s and seventies, they turned the most sexist workplace in America, the airline cabin, um, into like a real workplace with real working rights. And those rights have now been extended to all American working women today. So like they created real change. It's a story that most people don't know. It's called the great stewardess rebellion okay. End of
0: plug. (laughs) Amazing. No, I'm so glad you shared that because that is a story I didn't know either. And actually I, my dad worked in the airline industry forever. And so I I knew nothing about this whole history. So I'm really excited to read your book and, um, I'll definitely link to it in the show notes. So folks listening, go check it out. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, I have loved this conversation so much. I know that there are going to be listeners who definitely want to um, check out your website, learn more about probably both your book, but also your decision coaching. So I would love for you to share where people can connect with you and find you online and, and maybe go further with your work if they are so inclined.
1: Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Lauren. This was really fun. I love the opportunity to talk about making decisions. And if I've been able to push anybody towards making a decision a little bit faster, I will be thrilled. (laughs) I'm Um, sure you have. (laughs) People can find me at decideandmoveforward.com. Decide and move
0: forward. Love it. Okay. No, thank you so much. I am. I am just excited to listen back to this episode and take notes and soak it all in because it is such a unique skill set to have and one that I know I learned a lot from and I know the listeners well as well. So thank you so much for being so generous with your knowledge and expertise and for being here on Making Good. Thank you, Lauren. I had such a good time. Oh, my gosh. Are you so inspired? I love, love, love Nell's approach to decision making. And I'm betting that you've learned as much from this episode as I did. The show notes for today's episode include links to everything mentioned. You can find that at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 148. This includes links to Nell's book, The Great Stewardess Rebellion, as well as her website. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful to have your support. Here are three ways that you can give back to making good. First, I'd be honored to have you leave a rating and review in your favorite podcast player and don't forget to subscribe or follow. Second, if you have a friend that you think would enjoy the podcast or this episode in particular, send them the link at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 148. Finally, I'd be so grateful if you would take a screenshot in your podcast player while you're listening and tag me on social media at Lauren Tilden. I'd love to connect with you and cheer you on. Thank you for being here and for focusing on making a difference with your small business. Talk to you next time.